This week marked the beginning of one of our most important national traditions, Fat Bear Week. Fat Bear Week is March Madness meets Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest for Bears. Natalie Compton has been reporting on the phenomenon of Fat Bear Week for years. It is this online competition where the bears of Katmai National Park are pitted against each other. They have no idea this is happening. Fans online vote on these before and after photos of the bears. They emerge from their dens looking emaciated. Park rangers get photos of that. At the end of the season, before they go into hibernation, we have these photos of them very, very fat. And fans get to see who got the fattest. And so, I mean, how big are we talking about with these bears in Katmai? These bears are huge. These bears can get up to 1,000 pounds and regularly do by the time fall hits. Female bears can be hundreds of pounds. Adult males can top 1,200 pounds and do. Katmai is one of Alaska's national parks. They've set up these webcams that let people watch the bears and vote on which bear they think is the fattest. And it's become a huge deal for a lot of people online. Last year, more than a million people participated in the voting for Fat Bear Week. And there, I mean, there are people who take this really seriously, right? People who are really into Fat Bear Week will get to know the bear's family lineage, their fishing styles, their histories. You'll have super fans who are voting on, oh, I know that Otis is one of the oldest bears at the park. He's been through so much more. They're going to vote for him because of his incredible story. There are other people who will vote on loyalty alone, and they will say, 747 is my favorite bear. That's who I'm voting for, no matter what he looks like. There are people who bake cookies for this. There are people who write songs for this. They will create Spotify playlists to have the vibe of the bear that they are voting for. They will go online and try to get other people to vote for their bear. This is very serious for a lot of people. For the last few years, Natalie has been watching this from afar. I've been covering Fat Bear Week since 2020. Started out kind of like a joke. And this year, I asked my boss, can I go and cover this thing in person? Good morning. Looks like we're going to be number one once we get down there at the end. She said yes, and I went to Katmai. Here we go. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm your guest host, Lillian Cunningham. It's Friday, October 6th. Today, I talked to my colleague Natalie Compton about her journey to see these fat bears in person. We'll also hear from some of the other people who traveled extraordinary distances to see the bears up close. And we'll talk about some of the tensions that exist between tourism and preservation. So how did Fat Bear Week come about, and what was the point originally? Fat Bear Week started in 2014, just as Fat Bear Tuesday. It was a one-day competition started by a ranger at the park. He wanted to celebrate the bears and the salmon for this incredible gift that they give the world. 
It has since grown to a week-long event. And the goal of the competition is conservation. They hope that the more people who love the bears and Katmai, the more people will care about protecting it. So why is it that Katmai National Park is the home of Fat Bear Week? Are the bears particularly large there or the population of bears is large there? What makes Katmai National Park special is they do have one of the largest protected populations of brown bears in the world. They have more than 2,200 the last time they counted. This isn't why Katmai is famous. It really gained national attention for this incredible valley of 10,000 smokes left over by a 1912 volcanic eruption. The damage was the size of two Manhattans, and as a result, this really unique landscape emerged. Katmai is stunningly beautiful. It's the kind of park you think of when you think Grand American National Park. Brooks Camp itself, where I went to see these bears, sits on an incredible glacial lake. There are snow-kissed mountains in the background. There are wild berries, spruce and birch trees, bears frolicking everywhere you look, napping and... You're walking in their footsteps on a sandy beach. It's otherworldly. It's totally beautiful. The weather is tricky. It can be sunny one minute and pouring rain the next, maybe snowing, lots of bugs. And despite all that, it is still stunningly beautiful and one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. All right, here we go. Into the wet and the mist. And how did you actually get to Katmai? How difficult was it to get there? It is not an easy place to get to. It took me three flights, an overnight in King Salmon, another float plane to get there. There are lots of hurdles. It's expensive. This place is a celebration of conservation, and you feel like you get to come to this incredibly pristine natural environment. There's not a shred of trash there. But it wasn't lost on me that it took three flights and a float plane to get there. So it did feel like there was a carbon footprint involved to visit. In Katmai National Park and Preserve. And so what kind of prep did you need to do before being out in this wilderness surrounded by bears. Fortunately, the minute you arrive in Brooks Camp, you are required to go to bear school. If you get there for the 13th time or it's your first visit, you must go to bear school. So the first thing you do is watch a very catchy 10-minute video. This means that you'll be sharing habitat with many wild brown bears. Even though these bears may look tough, they are also very vulnerable. Their survival depends on gaining enough weight during the warmer months to make it through winter. You learn things like don't run from the bears, don't feed the bears. If a bear is charging at you, get out of the way. It's probably not charging you. It's just running. Stay 50 yards away from the bears at all times. Don't bring any food with you or scented items. So they really run through all of the basics that you'll need to have a happy conflict-free visit. So you get off the plane, you immediately get all this information. Are you just, are you freaked out? Are you feeling ready to go see a ton of bears? I felt very excited. I felt 
eager to see bears. I wanted to see bears. A conflicting feeling when you're there is we have been taught that bears are dangerous. We have also been conditioned to think bears are cuddly friends. We have Paddington. We have the sleepy time tea bear, teddy bears. So on the one hand, you're like, that's cute. I want to be near this creature. I also know it can rip me to shreds, and you're balancing that the entire time. But immediately, I went to the bear viewing platform to go see bears. This is my first walk to go see if I can see some bears. Oh my god. Is that one? Oh my god, that's a bear! As you can hear, it did not take long to find the bears. Like immediately. Yeah. It was like, I'm going to go see, oh, there's a bear. There's no shortage of bear sightings. It's eating a salmon. Holy And so this time of year when Fat Bear Week is going on, so this is the time that they're kind of in their final gorging phase, I guess, before hibernation. Is that right? Yes. They are entering into something called hyperphagia, which is almost like being under hypnosis. These bears are compelled to eat beyond what seems humanly possible, 80, 90 pounds of food a day. They're gaining three to six pounds a day. Wow. One night while I was at Katmai, I went out on the bear viewing platform, totally black, pitch black. I didn't expect to see any bears there, but in the darkness, I could hear one snorkeling around, chomping away at sockeye salmon, like a zombie, they are just eat fish, sleep, continue. So how dangerous are these bears? The bears are not interested in people there. The bears are very habituated to people. This place actually started as a fishing destination for people. So while the rangers don't like to say this is a safe destination— you're safe. We're walking around. There are no barriers between you and the bears. Last year, there were more than 17,000 visitors to Brooks Camp, and nothing bad happened. It's really incredible. However, you're constantly keeping your head on a swivel, looking out for bears to keep that 50-yard distance. And as we were making sure we're not getting in any bear's way, you have bears approaching you on the other side. So I would say inadvertently getting much closer than that 50-yard limit, but not because you were trying. You would just turn around and there would be a bear right there. So how many bears do you think you saw while you were there? Honestly, I kept trying to remember to count, and I would just stop after 30 because I'd be like, oh, oh, bears, bears, another bear, more bears, bears all the time, bears everywhere. You cannot even count how many bears you've seen. Bear sightings all day long, bears near your campsite, bears near the bathroom, bears in the river, bears on the beach, bears near the plains. There's just constantly bears. Did you ever feel like you got used to that experience of being near a bear? It's wild, but yes. You stop immediately panicking when you see them because you know the rules. But I also have a healthy skepticism in knowing this is still a wild animal. Don't push it. After the break, Natalie meets some of the people that made the trek to Katmai. We hear about their love for bears and their concerns. We'll be right back. 
What do you like about bears? What do I like? What don't you like about bears? Bears are amazing. Um, they're incredible animals. They're very adaptable. Also, just the you know the dichotomy of these really adorable animals that everybody wants to hug that will also kill you. Uh, <laughs> what kind of people come to Camp Mai to see these bears? Who are some of the most interesting people you met on your trip? I talked to lots of visitors at Katmai about what brought them there. You'll find yourself surrounded by passionate bear fans. And they said they really relate with bears. They don't love spending a lot of time in crowds or with people. Bears are like that, too. And they just wanted to sit there and observe somebody they related to. One woman found the bear cams during the pandemic and said it really helped her get through lockdown. Then she developed this connection with bears, loved watching their family dynamics, and now has become a regular Katmai visitor. And I heard that story over and over again from different people. They found the bear cams. They started watching. They got hooked. These are the Kardashians of bears, and people really know them. So it's amazing to, to see that sort of fandom in real life. One woman told me that she broke her ankle shortly before her trip, but it is such a competitive lottery system to stay in the lodge there. She said, there's no way I'm missing this. Some people, this means a lot to them. Come over 32 is going to be taking over the river in the next couple years. 747 and 856 are getting a little too old. Mm. And I think he'll be the next non-top, on-top boy of the river. People are identifying bears. They are talking about how fat the bears are looking at any given time or what their family dynamics were that year. How old is 32? He's not... You're not a young guy. No, he's, he's in his teens. Yeah, he's in I, his teens. This is why I almost think it's going to be 503. I think 503 has got a good shot at being the next one. So these numbers, this is how people are referring to the bears. Most of the bears that you see have these numbers that the Park Service has given to them. Fans online then give them additional names. So some of them include Electra or Grazer, or Backpack. They have other names that they go by, but officially, they're given numbers, and that helps the park identify them. It's amazing hearing the way that the people are talking about these bears and the investment that they have in them. Right, they sound like Jets fans talking about the season. Um, I saw 32 yesterday. He may be as big as 747 this year. I mean, the hierarchy is really fluid right now. So I'm not I'm not saying who's top bear right now, but I think next year is going to be really interesting to watch. Some of the people you met were unwilling to call bears by a name at all. They only wanted to use these numbers. Why is that? Yeah, the park has officially moved away from using names and go by their official numbers alone. I talked to wildlife biologist Michael Saxon about this, actually. Um, there have been incidents in other parks where... Um, People have gotten very attached to bears that then cause a lot of problems and get into trouble, and it can it can create issues. I know biologists that have gotten death threats because of bears that they've had to put down no. and stuff like that. But anyway, I just I tend to lean towards sticking with the numbers. I I worry about sort of it, it influences the way that people see the bears. I imagine that Katmai has seen a surge in visitors, you know, since Fat Bear Week has gotten more and more popular. Um, If part of the goal here is preserving this threatened animal, is is more visitation to Katmai a good thing? 
What's interesting is there are so many barriers to get to Katmai. They really haven't seen the same surge in visitation as a restaurant that goes viral on TikTok. So I think for now, they are protected in a way from that publicity and the popularity of the competition. People definitely go because they're interested in watching the cameras, but so far it hasn't skyrocketed visitation. However, they are seeing numbers go up. So they are going to have to deal with how do we balance the popularity of this park, having more people around bears, keeping it safe and pristine, because that's what people love about it. The webcams here, they're good in a way because they give, give us information, but it also causes more people, I believe, to want to come here. Yeah. And There was one visitor from Montana who really spoke to this. He was talking about how he came for a two-week visit to Katmai. He hopes that visitors don't destroy the place with over-tourism. I just don't want to see it get wrecked. Yeah. Glacier or Yellowstone. This is not a zoo. Yeah. Don't ever assume that you can just do whatever you want around here. Yeah. There were lots of people who were balancing that. Well, I love to go here, but I don't want a ton of other people to come here. And that was especially true of people who had been coming since the 90s or the 70s, seeing how much has changed already and hoping to preserve the magic of the place. I've never been before, and this felt like a wild place and something different and cool, and we wanted to see the bears. <laughs> yeah, I wanted a positive interaction with bears. Yeah. yeah. And to be so close is so rare. I met these two friends, Camille Plaisance and Rachel Olson. Even though they liked being there, they almost felt like it was against nature. I'm also not super sure on how sustainable this type of tourism is. Yeah. With human wildlife interactions so strong. Yeah. With apex predators. And it feels like an experiment. We've been like yeah. going around with different words of how to describe our feelings. We're like, it's an experiment. Right. When they're saying that it feels like an experiment, what do you think they were getting at? They are feeling like this has to be some kind of experiment. Are we supposed to be around apex predators this close, sharing their environment, being in the same river as them? Is this okay? Am I supposed to be this close to bears? Is it doing any damage by me being here? Is this going to end in disaster? Is this Jurassic Park for bears? You'll find out at the end of the experiment. It seems like this tension between tourism and preservation is inherent really in all the national parks. Um, you know, that these are places that have a mission to serve and educate the public and tell people better appreciate bears, appreciate nature, wildlife. Um, but they also have a mission to protect that wildlife and that ecosystem. And it seems like for the Park Service and even for tourists, you know, it's a difficult question how you strike that balance. It definitely seemed like something people were talking about there. Some people also mentioned that National Park started as a, a recreation effort, and, and this was a place for us to come and travel to, and it's not about the wildlife for everybody. But I do think everybody who works there was incredibly passionate about preserving this special place and keeping this part of the United States so wild. 
Thank you so much, Natalie. Thank you and happy Fat Bear Week. (laughs) Natalie Compton is a travel reporter for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Peter Bresnan. It was edited by Maggie Penman and mixed by Sean Carter. If you enjoyed today's show, check out my podcast, Field Trip. It's a journey through the messy past and uncertain future of America's national parks. You can find all five episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll put a link in our show notes. Our team includes Maggie Penman, Rena Flores, Ted Muldoon, Martine Powers, Elahe Yazadi, Monica Campbell, Robin Amer, Eliza Dennis, Alana Gordon, Ariel Plotnik, Bishop Sand, Arjun Singh, Jordan Marie Smith, Rennie Svernovsky, Sabi Robinson, Emma Talkoff, Sean Carter, and Renita Jablonski. Our intern is Trinity Webster Bass. I'm your guest host, Lillian Cunningham. We'll be back next week with more stories from The Washington Post. <laughs>